I don't know if I'd be brave enough to do it again if I knew what I knew. Because it was really intense. Welcome to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast. I'm Sarah Abair. And I'm Chris J. All Y'all is a podcast and live storytelling event series that we produce independently right here in Shreveport, Louisiana. This season of All Y'all Podcasts and Live Events is presented by Maryland's Place Restaurant with additional support from Red River Brewing Company and Williams Creative Group. Speaking of live events, we've got one coming up on Saturday, June 2nd, 2018. And at this live show, which is called Wild Card, we're going to be shaking things up a little bit. Normally at an All Y'all event, we'll have four or five storytellers, sometimes six, and they're lined up on a common theme. And we'll have worked out with each of those storytellers for weeks, sometimes even months, how they can perfect their story for the show. But for Wildcard, which is our 14th live event, we just decided to throw all of that out the window and try something totally new. And we really hope that you guys will go along with us and try this thing out. It's going to be a real adventure. Everyone in the audience at Wildcard could be a storyteller. Um, so that night we'll choose storytellers at random from the crowd. Um, so we want you to buy a ticket and think of the best story from your life. It can be anything at all. It can be funny. It can be sad. It can be personal or silly. Whatever works for you. It can be a minute long or it could be 10 minutes long. That's that's like the max length of the story. And our only requirements are that it has to be true and told from the heart without notes. Tickets are available now at allyallblog.com. Many thanks to Fairfield Studios for hosting Wildcard. Back in 2013, they hosted our first ever live event, and returning to Fairfield Studios feels like coming home again. On this episode, we're going to hear a story from Ladies' Night, a live event that we hosted back in 2015, and on that night, Annie Kendig shared the harrowing story of flying into the Democratic Republic of the Congo to adopt her daughter, Tontine. We describe Annie to friends as a combination of 007 and Carol Brady. Her story had our audience on the edge of their seats, and this truly is an episode that we've been looking forward to releasing for a very long time. Before we get into that story, we want to thank Maryland's Place for being our title sponsor for the season. Any day is a great day to stop by Maryland's for a po'boy or etouffee, but every Monday in May is going to be very special. Um, it's Muffaletta Mondays, and boy howdy, are these things really good. Each Monday in May, Boz has invited Sean Day of the Trailer Hash Food Truck to serve his famous muffalettas at Maryland's Place. Day uses really good Italian meats, and he makes his own killer olive mix from scratch. If you're looking for a really good, really unforgettable muffaletta, you've got to try Sean Day's version. And you can catch him at Maryland's Place on Mondays in May. Get more info by connecting with Maryland's Place on Facebook. Woo! Okay, so now let's jump into a plane with storyteller Annie Kendig and land in the Congo for her story that we're calling Flying into Lubumbashi. Stay with us after her story for an update on Annie and her daughter, Tonsini. So we hear the pilot announce that we are making our final descent into Lubumbashi and we burst through the clouds and fly directly over an open pit coal tan mine and I'm thinking to myself at this point that shit's about to get real 
and um, it just got real. And in the distance, I can see the landing strip, which is kind of this raggedy, bumpy, gravelly uh, strip with no markings. And the plane lands, and we pull in um, and park right next to all the other planes, just like you would park at Brookshire's. And um, the luggage is kind of unceremoniously uh, heaved off of the plane and into a giant pile in uh, the middle of the walkway to the airport in the outdoors, and um, it's just a giant pile of luggage. And we retrieve about half of our bags, and uh, we proceed to customs. And we walk in, and I should say the airport in Lubumbashi is, is a concrete shell. In the 1950s and 60s, it was probably a really cool building, but um, it's no longer, and it's fallen into a lot of disrepair, which is most of Congo. And um, we walk in, and there's a little band behind a glass window, and he's shouting, and we show our yellow immunization cards that show that we've been immunized against every immunizable disease on the planet. And we show our passports, and we give some of our money. Um, and when I say cash money, I'm talking about we had uh, a lot of money strapped to our bodies. And I won't say how much, but um, just to add to the tension, we were over the legal limit. And so we give some money to someone, and it's, uh, for me, just kind of mind-blowing because there are more armed people with loaded AK-47s AK than a Rambo movie, and it's real, the shit's really getting real. So um, we meet our caretaker for the week, our driver, Mbongo, and we meet Mama Francine, who um, is the orphanage director, and they take us to the Methodist guest house in Lubumbashi. And along the way, Nothing can really prepare you uh, for what you're about to see in a place like that. Um, it's the poorest country in the world. The people are beautiful and generous, but uh, even having been there, I still can't say what it was like or um, how uh, just overwhelmed I was with the whole experience. But we get to the guest house, which is across the street, again, from a Methodist church that was probably really beautiful in the 1950s and 60s, but has fallen into disrepair. And um, we drop our luggage off, and immediately Mbongo whisks us away to the orphanage. And we come through the concrete wall, and you should know that we were there to adopt a little girl, and her name was Tantine. And at this point, with us being on the ground in Lubumbashi, we were really, really ready to have Tantine be a part of our family. Um, there were so many things to do with her, and we felt like she was our own even before we met her. So when we walked through the compound door uh, wall and it shut behind us, Tantine was the first person that I saw. And I imagined that it would be sort of this romantic, oh, I love you, and instead it was sort of like, oh, we were both a little bit freaked out. But um, she was playing a board game on a makeshift piece of cardboard with some rocks with the two little boys whose moms worked in the orphanage. And 
we saw each other and um, it was kind of awkward and weird and the decision was made quickly that our two, my three traveling companions, my daughter Claire and the woman Hilma who was our adoption facilitator and another adoptive mom, Melanie from the Seattle area, we would take the children and leave the orphanage that afternoon and go back to the guest house and the kids would never go back. Now at this time, uh, Hilma was there to adopt a little one-year-old boy um, by proxy and Melanie was there to adopt another little one-year-old boy. And it was a moment that I was not prepared for again when they handed over the baby boys to the adoptive moms and it was that moment um, when the women and girls who had taken care of these two little baby boys since their birth um, had to give those baby boys up to moms that were really overwhelmed and not sure who it was hardest for. The babies cried and cried, um, but we, we managed to make our way back out the gate and back to the guest house where we um, put the kids to bed and Ordinarily, I would have been sort of excited and in the moment, but since the flight from Johannesburg the day before, my oldest daughter, Claire, who I was traveling with, had become increasingly ill. And later we would find out she had a violent reaction to her anti-malarial medicine, but we didn't know it at the time. So by midnight, I would say without overstatement that she was deathly ill. And there were two American angel missionaries in the guest house with us that night who knew their way around Lubumbashi. And about three in the morning, the decision was made to take Claire to a Seventh-day Adventist hospital in Lubumbashi. And by hospital, I mean it's a little house and a gurney for a bed that was kind of duct taped together and an IV bag and a tube, no computers, no batteries beeping. And um, it turned out to be life-saving, but when Hilma heard the car back out of the driveway to take Claire to the hospital, she got up and asked what was going on, and I told her. And she looked me dead in the eye, and she said, well, I hope you know you just signed your daughter's death warrant. She said, the number one rule when we come to Congo is nobody goes to the hospital because nobody comes out alive. And so at that moment, I, um, it was a dark moment. I was trying to have the audacity to have a third child and be a mother to her, and I felt like I was doing a pretty piss poor job with the oldest one at that moment, um, since I had just signed her death warrant. And it was a, a soul crushing moment, but I felt prayers and love from people at home and people there in the Congolese community. And the morning came and uh, we persuaded the hospital to come to us. And the beautiful nurse, Rachel, came and set up an IV um, at the guest house so that Claire could recover there, which was a good solution. Now, in the meantime, we had to send the women um, with the kids onto the capital city of Congo, which is um, Kinshasa, and there they would do the legalization of all the paperwork. Um, 
it was very important to us that the adoption be very legal and above board in every single way. And uh, the formality of um, Congo uh, was very important. And at that point, um, the, the children and the two women from Seattle did leave and go to Kinshasa and left Claire and I in the guest house. Now, there were still a million things that could have gone wrong in Kinshasa. The judge could have denied, found something wrong in the paperwork, which had to be translated. Um, they could have not passed the doctor visit. Um, and we just sort of were holding our breath, and it was really frustrating not going along with them. But we trusted that everything would work out. And um, that time while we were waiting for the things to be finalized in Kinshasa was kind of a compression of the whole year before um, when we would hear one week uh, that the adoption was going great and everything was checking out and the home study was good and finally the fingerprints were good and the background checks were good. And then the next week they would say, adoptions are closed for Congo, it will never happen. So it was kind of a roller coaster ride, and it seemed like it all just came together at that moment. So things turned out great in Kinshasa, and we heard that everything had passed, and so Claire and I were to fly back to Johannesburg, where we would meet up, and we would get Tantine on the plane, and we would go our way, and the Seattle people would go their way with the two little boys. So the day came for Claire and I to meet up with the other people at the airport in Johannesburg, and we spent the whole day there, and if you ever get the chance, it's a fascinating place to spend the day. People from all over the world, every kind of language, every kind of everything, and it's magnificent. So we had our fun people watching in the Johannesburg airport, and we're watching our watches to see when the kids would um, meet up with us, and then it was time for our flight. And um, so we were at our gate, and the last people on, and they finally told us, they said, ladies, you have to get on the plane. And we were like, we can't get on the plane. We don't, we don't have our daughter. We don't have our sister. And they said, no, you've got to get on the plane. So we got on the plane fully expecting that Tantine would burst through the door any second, and then they closed the door to the plane. And then the plane started backing out, and we had no idea in the world uh, where in the world Tantine was. We, we, we didn't know. And so it's about 24 hours on the plane from Johannesburg um, via Dakar um, back to New York City, and it was pretty much the longest 24 hours of my life and Claire's life. And finally, we got to New York City and found out indeed that Tantine would be on the next flight. And um, we, we met up in New York City after I sent Claire on. She was about to start at LSU. And we, again, had that awkward moment when Tantine realized that she wasn't going with the other two ladies she had spent the week with, so it wasn't um, all rosy and kissy, but um, we managed. And the first thing we did was uh, hop in a taxi from JFK to LaGuardia. And when we got there, they said, you got to go back to JFK. Her ticket doesn't match her passport. There's no way she can fly. Well, finally, I cried enough and looked bedraggled enough, and Tantine looked freaked out enough 
that the gate agents let us on the plane and we eventually made it home. And she is our, our, my daughter. Um, I got two of my three daughters sitting in the back right now. And um, I just have to say that when I was first presented with the opportunity um, to participate in the combining of Tantine as our family and my family together um, adoption, I was not on board. I, was, I had kids in college and I was ready to sort of be footloose and fancy free and um, I thought that having a third child would sort of, um, you know, put a damper on all of that. But I imagined um, having a conversation with my maker and he or she asking me one day, um, you know, your oldest daughter had a relationship with a little girl and you had two bedrooms in the back of your house that were all set up for little girls and they were empty and you had the time and you had the resources and you had the love and I wonder why you wouldn't want her to be part of your family and I decided that was a conversation I never ever wanted to have and um, I, if I hadn't made that decision and had the love and support of family and friends to help us make that decision and make that happen, I would have regretted it every day to this day. And Tantine is the completion of our family. My third daughter, she's beautiful and funny and resilient and truly it would be the biggest regret of my life not to um, have made her a part of our family. And if you guys will indulge me, I'm going to tell you something really, really cool. About um, three years ago, a friend of mine called me from Centenary College, Warren Clifton, and he said, um, we have a student here, and she's from Congo, and she wants to meet you. And I said, great. And so the next Sunday at church, um, we met, and Tandress was her name, and she was just this beautiful ball of smiles and love, and we gave each other a big hug immediately, and I said, so Tandress, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from the south part of Congo. And I said, well, what city are you from? And she said, I'm from Lubumbashi. And I said, Lubumbashi? And she said, you've heard of Lubumbashi? And I said, I've been to Lubumbashi. <laughs> and she said, no way. And um, it's been a huge privilege for my family and my friends, a lot of whom are sitting here tonight, to have been her family um, while hers uh, is halfway around the world. But here's the coolest part. We got to talking, and it turns out that her dad is a Methodist pastor. And he was a Methodist pastor at the church across from the guest house. And he was the pastor at that church during a time in the history of Lubumbashi when there was a lot of violence. And there were a lot of children um, separated from their parents for one reason or another, and a lot of children living in the street. And his vision and that of his congregations was to create a place for the children of Lubumbashi that did not have homes and families. And it turns out that he is the founder of Sejal, which is where my oldest daughter, Claire, met my youngest daughter, Tontine. 
Thanks for listening. Tontine is a teenager now, and recently she learned to drive. Sarah sat down with Annie to talk about being the mom of a teenager, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and what her experience there taught her. I was thinking about the Congo recently and how the world is so big and we know so little about some countries. And one of the reasons that I, I was really grateful that you agreed to tell your story was that I think the Congo is part of the world that people hear only bad things about. Right. And this, this story was uplifting to me. Congo is the poorest country on, on the planet years in a row and the richest country natural resource wise. And, you know, there's lots to read and lots of people have lots of opinions, but, you know, the country started as a country of storytellers and artists and, um, uh, it's interesting right now, uh, a lot of Congolese believe that Wakanda in Black Panther is Congo not colonized, and it's paradise and it's beautiful. You know, Congo's been ravaged by greedy people for, you know, for ages, and they still are beautiful, generous, amazing people. Let's talk a little bit about Tontine because part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is that I saw on Facebook or something recently that Tontine got her driver's license. It's true. So how old is she now? She is 16. She'll be 17 in May. And, you know, I didn't think that I thought she'd be super nervous to drive. And she's like a whole new little person. She's like, I'll go to the grocery store, mom. I want to go shopping. I want to buy some clothes. I, I need to get gas, mom. Hey, what can I go do for you today? It's awesome. So so she's really into driving. She's into driving and she's super happy to take her friends home. And uh, for the first day she had her license, she drove to school and she said, can I take a friend home? And I said, sure. And the friend's house was in Keithville. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, I was, and she didn't get home till like 5 o'clock. I was like, where have you been? And um, But she's she had a great adventure. She followed her little GPS and got home. And it's great. What was that like for you to like see her drive off I on can't, her own? I can't watch. I can't. I say goodbye and I give her a kiss out the front door. And I cannot watch her even pull out onto the street. <laughs> I can't watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you think back on meeting Tontine for the first time and like now that you've known her for so long I mean do you did you at the time did you think that she would turn out to be the kind of young woman that she is now uh, you know that's a good question when I first saw Tontine. She was sitting down playing a game, a board game, with a couple of little boys. They had kind of made it out of cardboard, and they had rocks for the for their pieces. And I forget what they used for dice or for a spinner. And she looked at me, and and I think she knew who I was and why I was there. And she showed no fear. And that afternoon she came with us to the guest house and 
you know, she never went back to the orphanage. She never, you know, whatever goodbye she said there, uh, you know, that was it. And uh, I remember getting her ready to put in the bathtub and I remember her just standing there and she looked me dead in the eye and she was like, this is me. And I knew at that moment that she was not going to be, she was not going to be, there was nothing wimpy about her. There was nothing pathetic about her. She was strong. And I think I knew right then that that she was going to be okay wherever she was. We also want to thank our final sponsor for this episode, Williams Creative Group. Williams Creative Group is a marketing and public relations firm in Shreveport that can help you or your company tell your story through PR, advertising, and marketing. Learn more at williamscreativegroup.com. If you'd like to hear more episodes of the All Y'all podcast, you can stream episodes at allyallblog.com or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store, where we would love it if you'd take a moment to leave us a review. By leaving a review, you increase the likelihood that other folks who are just exploring the iTunes store will discover All Y'all. It helps us so much more than you know. We're also on Facebook at All Y'all. Just look for the orange circle. That's us. And on Twitter at All Y'all Podcast. Thanks, y'all. Great job, Chris. You did pretty well, too, Sarah. You think so? Yeah. And the dogs are so quiet. They are. You can hear Wade snoring in your room.